Would you turn please to 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, 2 Corinthians 6, we've begun a few weeks ago a series that we're calling Separate from Sin, Separate from Sin. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 14. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. Let's just stop right here. If the Bible says don't team up with unbelievers, how would you act on that? (laughs) By not teaming up, right? (laughs) I know sometimes things sound too simple, but the problem is, folk, they hear it and they've heard it before and it's like, yes, amen. And then go right out and team up with unbelievers. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? Now, he's asking us a question, so we should answer it. How can goodness be a partner with wickedness? What's the answer? It can't. It doesn't work. You can try, but it doesn't work. How can light live with darkness? It can't. Have you ever walked into a pitch dark room? There's no light. And you flipped on the light switch. And darkness rolled back about halfway in the room. (laughs) And light and darkness struggled for the next hour and a half (laughs) until one of them won out. (laughs) No, darkness does not dwell with light. Hmm? Darkness cannot overcome light. Man, this will preach now. Darkness cannot overcome light. The only place darkness can flourish is in the absence of light. Glory to God. And God's word is light. Hallelujah. You want to attack the kingdom of darkness? Just open your Bible and start reading. Open your mouth and start speaking the word of God. Right? And I don't care how bad a shape somebody's life is in, how bad of life they've lived, how low they've gone. When the Word of God comes into their life and they see the light of the truth, the light of freedom, all the devils in hell can't hold them back. How many understand? I don't care if a man or woman's been a murderer, a thief, a liar, the worst of the worst. If they see the light of the good news of Jesus and salvation, and they say, yeah, I believe that, and yes, I receive that, what can hold them back from being born again? All hell combined cannot keep one soul from being recreated. What do you mean? Because all that's darkness, and this is light. And when it comes to light versus darkness, there ain't no competition. There ain't no story. That's why when you resist the enemy in light, what does he do? He don't fight. He runs. Why? Because there's nothing he can do. That's what darkness does. It's kind of like a dirty place. And roaches. You come in, you turn the light on, what happens? (laughs) They can only flourish in the dark. That's a good description of the devil's bunch. It is. It is. And you know, the Bible talks about when uh, people were delivered in Jesus' ministry from all kind of stuff. 
They said, you know, the scribes and Pharisees that didn't like him, they said, well, he's doing it by Beelzebub, prince of the devils. Well, you know, uh, Baal and Beelzebub, all that has to do with the Lord of the flies. The devil's nasty. Did you know it? If some people saw what they're yielding to, saw what they are chummy and buddy with and fellowship with, they'd throw up for about a day and a half and they'd never want to do it again. They just don't see what they're messing with. He invented filth. And uh, Jesus said no. He said, if I cast out, one of the writers in the gospel said, if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, another writer said it like this, by the finger of God. I cast out devils by the finger of God. Now, if you read the scripture, you'll see the Bible talks about the hand of God, talks about the arm of God. Well, this is all showing you relative exertions of God's strength and power. (laughs) Well, when it came to casting out devils, it took what? Holy Ghost finger power. That's all it took. Jesus said, you shut up and come out of them. And the Holy Ghost went. (laughs) It's a fact. Now the devil don't want you to know that. He wants you to think that he's a virtual equal opposite with God. And that him and the Holy Ghost will tie up and fight for months on end. (laughs) He wishes. No. He's been stripped. He's been brought to naught. He's been put under our feet. Glory to God. And those folk who know it and believe it, ain't a thing he can do with them. But the other folk who's in the dark and who are scared of him, did you hear me? They live in terror. They live in bondage. Why? Because they're in the dark. They're in the dark. Now, uh, this scripture says, let's keep on reading. I'm reading from the New Living. Verse 15, what harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? What's the answer to that? You do understand that millions of Christians believe there is some kind of harmony between Christ and the devil. They do. They believe God and the devil work together on different things. Millions of Christians believe that. They have different versions of it. It's subtle forms of it, but that God is using the devil and they have some kind of a working relationship. I'm telling you, it ain't so. It ain't so. God is good. He does good things. The devil is evil. He does evil things. They don't get up one morning and say, hey, you want to swap jobs today? Never has happened. Never will. What harmony is there between Christ and the devil? None. Not a little bit. Not sometimes. Just none. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? People have tried it a bunch of times, but it doesn't work. What union can there be between God's temple and idols? None. For we are the temple of the living God. 
As God said, I'll live in them and walk among them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Who and we are. Therefore, having said all this, leads up to this. Understanding that there's no communion between Christ and the devil. Between light and darkness. Come out, he said, from them. From them what? From darkness. You have to go back up in the passage. From unbelief. From wickedness. From darkness. From the devil. Right? From idols. From junk. Come out from all that. And be separate from that. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I'll welcome you. Is there stuff in the world that you and I should have no part of? Hmm? Are there places we shouldn't go? Things we shouldn't be involved in? Things we shouldn't watch? Things we shouldn't listen to? Absolutely. Now, a lot of folks try to live in what they call gray areas. You'll find that there's nothing in the Bible about gray areas. You know, you hear people, what, every time some of this language begins to come up, let your ears perk up when people start talking about, well, that's sort of a gray area. Watch it. Deception is on the door. Or people talk about, well, that's a fine line. Where'd you read about fine lines in the Bible? Do you know any scriptures that talk about fine lines and gray areas? I got a lot of people looking at me funny right now. They're like. <laughs> well, I'm asking you a question. Do you know of scriptures that talk about gray areas? That you got you right. You got you wrong. You got you gray. <laughs> For there to truly be a gray area. God would have to not be sure. And since God is always sure and knows there are no gray areas. Now there's ignorance with human beings, right? There's confusion. There's darkness. But not with God and not with his word. Some folk are going to have to chew on that a little while there. He said, come out from them and separate yourself from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things and I welcome you. And I will be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Because we have these promises. What promises? That if we'd commit ourselves to him, he'd be our father. He'd be our God. We'd walk with him. He'd walk with us. He'd be in us and live in us, as John talks about. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Now, this is something that we've got to look. There's, depending on what you're talking about, there are different sides to things. All of it's truth, but it's like one individual said, like climbing a mountain, and you ask somebody what it looked like, well, it depends on what side they were standing on, right? And you might hear three different descriptions and say, well, that can't be right, because that doesn't agree with the other guys. Well, it's true, you just didn't see but part of it. And um, 
He said, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. You read other portions of scripture and you begin to see that there's no way we can cleanse ourselves from our sin. That only the blood can do that. And that our faith in the blood is the only way we can be right before God. How are we to understand this then? How are we to cleanse ourselves? This is not talking about our standing before God and our salvation. This is talking about our life and our witness in the earth. Right? And there are things in this area that God's not going to do for us. We have to do for ourselves. He'll help us with it. But you can't say, well, God, make me not watch that bad stuff anymore. And so you turn it back on and sit down. Lord, please make me stop. Lord, I, I keep stealing money. Make me stop. Lord, I keep telling lies. Please make me stop. Please make me stop. You're praying vain prayers. You're asking him to control you. I've heard people say those very words. I wish the Holy Ghost would just take me. I wish I could just turn my mind off. And the Holy Ghost would just take me over, take me over, Holy Ghost, control me. He's not going to do it. He's not a demon. Demons seek to control human beings. God does not. He desires that we willingly yield ourselves to Him. Right? We yield our mind to Him. We yield our words. We yield our bodies, our resources, willingly. The Bible does not tell you to become a mindless zombie. You can tell error in cults where people talk about just think nothing. Just think nothing. Let your mind become completely blank, completely empty, and become one with the great cosmic nothingness. You never see anything remotely like that in the Bible. Never did the Lord tell you to think nothing and to empty your mind until there's no, never. The devil wants you to do that so he can come in and fill it for you. No, in fact, the Bible said, think. Now, that'd be a real message right there for a lot of folks. Think. <laughs> On these things, right? Whatever's true, pure good. <laughs> what are y'all laughing at? It would be, wouldn't it? Think. The Lord doesn't tell you to empty your mind so that there's nothing. He tells you, fill your mind with his word. Think on what he said. Meditate on what he has said night and day. Well, According to this, we are to purify or cleanse ourselves from all that can defile and contaminate flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, living holy. Now, when you use some of these words, I almost hesitate to use them because, for instance, holy. When you say holy, when you say holiness, people get religious. They immediately go, Holy. What does that mean? What does that mean? Holy. Righteous. Most people don't have a clue. 
They've heard these things all their life if they were in church. And it's so familiar. It's very familiar sounding. But they don't know what it means. It doesn't mean anything to them on Monday morning. It's something they talk about on Sunday. Well, that's useless. That's vain. Holy, we've already talked about it. It has to do with separation. Well, you can see that in the passage, can't you? First, he talked about separating yourself. And then he talked about cleansing yourself, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. What is holiness? Holiness is cleanness. Holiness is being separate from sin, separate from what defiles. In fact, Hebrews, you don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 7 talks about it, that Jesus is our high priest. The Amplified says he's holy, he's blameless, unstained by sin, separated from sinners, and exalted higher than the heavens. What is holiness? Jesus is holiness. What is us being holy? Being like him. Don't go to anybody's denominational code. Don't try to find out any church's definition, you know, because all kind of people have their idea. Well, you have to dress like this. You have to act like this. You have to talk like this. You have to do like this. No, no, don't get into any of that. What is being holy? Holiness is Christ-likeness. Being like him. Well, how many understand Jesus was separate from sin? When he hung on the cross, when the sins came upon him, they were our sins. None of his. Not one of his. He had none. He was tempted, the Bible said, in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Never sinned. He should be your hero. Right? And I said, yeah, well, he's God. He didn't do it as God. He became a man. And he lived and walked down here as a man with no unfair advantage over you and I. And he was hit with every temptation that you've ever been hit with and a whole lot more. He was hit with every temptation that anybody has ever experienced or will ever experience. He was tempted in all points as a man. He didn't resist temptation with powers as God. Philippians talks about he laid aside his mighty weight and power. He didn't stop being God, but he didn't operate as God. Somebody said, how could he do that? Well, he's God. He can do things like that. He functioned as a man. I think sometimes folks need to go back and read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John again. With that knowledge and understanding, you'll see all kind of things you never saw before. Jesus did not operate in omnipotence. Did you hear me? He didn't operate in omniscience, knowing everything. He asked questions about things. There are times it says he knew their thoughts, but that doesn't mean he knew everything about everything while he was operating. So how did he know? Same way you could know something today. Word of knowledge. Did you hear me now? There are times it says he couldn't do things. Like in his own hometown. Could there do no mighty works? Why? Because they didn't receive him. They didn't believe in him. If you go back and read those again with an open mind, you'll see all kind of things. And you'll see your example. You'll see him doing 
what we're supposed to do. Did he live separate from sin? He was tempted, but he never gave in. And he pleased the Father in all things, and he was used of God as the ultimate example. Now, uh, you might say, well, Brother Keith, we've already sinned. We've already missed it. How can we think we can walk like him? By his blood. We can. I don't care if you blew it terribly today. By the blood, you can be cleansed. So that you stand up in his righteousness, clean, like him. Did you hear me? And now again say, I'm going to live separate from sin. Right? What if you blow it again before the ear's out? Thank God for the blood. I said, thank God for the blood. You can confess. We, we talked about that at length. You can confess your sin. Acknowledge it, admit it. And he's faithful and just to forgive you and I. And to cleanse, not just forgive us, but what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we stand up again as though we had never sinned. What a great salvation we have. Oh my. But we should purpose in ourselves to live separate from that which displeases God, that which defiles us. Now we answered the question, what is sin? And went into some detail about what sin is. Let me remind you a little bit. 1 John 3, you don't have to turn there, but 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of the law. The law, the Bible tells us, Revealed light. Romans 4 says where no law is there's no transgression. And we made this statement and I believe it covers a lot of area and ground. Sin is violation of light. If you look up the definitions and you keep seeing words like transgress. Well what does transgress mean? Well, it means break or violate. If the speed limit's 70 miles an hour and you're doing 103, you transgressed the speed limit. What does that mean? You violated it, right? You broke it. And, uh, well, let's just go to the book of Romans. Let's take some time on this. Go to the book of Romans, please. There's so much on this subject here in the book of Romans. And let's look at the, uh, the sixth chapter. Romans 6, and let me just read a few verses to you, please, in Romans 6, 1. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Let's just start. That's what we were just talking about. What if you miss it? What can we do? Well, because of grace, we can admit it and ask God to forgive us, and he will and cleanse us, and we stand up clean. Well, since we have that available to us, do we say, well, then sin don't matter. Do whatever you want to. You just First John 1, 9 it when you get through. I've heard people say stuff like that. And there's some whole religions that operate on the premise of, you know, basically do whatever you do as long as you come and admit it or confess it and ask for forgiveness at the right time and appropriate place. And they just live like, well, everybody's going to sin. Yeah. You know, we're just old sinners. 
Saved by grace. We're not supposed to be. I said we're not supposed to be. We were old sinners. Did you hear me? We have been saved by grace. And we do not have to sin. Did you hear me now? This thing about, well, nobody can go through a day without sinning. That is a lie. That's a lie. The enemy loves that doctrine. You can go for great periods of time and not sin. Did you hear me? And even when you did, you didn't have to. I said, when you did, you didn't have to. If you couldn't help it, you shouldn't be expected to repent. Because you're not responsible. No, the very reason you have to repent is because you could have resisted. And if people say, well, no, it was just too big. Jesus resisted all of them. Proving it could be done. He did it as a man. So that don't fly anymore. Right? Nobody can stand up and say, well, it was just too big. It just came and rolled over me. And next thing I knew, I was sinning. I, I tried not to, but it was just too big. Ain't no such thing. Because the Lord told us in 1 Corinthians, you remember, he said, there's no temptation. Happened to you or taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Oh, thank God. He will not allow you or suffer you to be tempted above what you're able Now, people took that, religion took that, and made it say, God won't put more on you than you can stand. That's not what that said. But they twisted that into that. No, that says God is faithful to you. No temptation is going to come your way that's too big for you to handle. He won't allow it. If something shows up on your door, you can say no, you can resist it, you do not have to give in, ever. Amen. Well, it was too big. Well, then the scripture's not true if it was too big. Because he said he wouldn't allow it. No, you've missed it, I've missed it. But every time we did, it was our fault. We could have resisted. We could have said no. We did not have to give in. Not you, not me. But when you did, thank God for the blood. But he said, God forbid. Verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Verse 6, knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that this body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Is sin supposed to rule in our life today? No. Verse 11, likewise reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Whoo, glory to God. Everybody say that out loud. Sin Sin shall not not have dominion dominion over me. me. I'm I'm dead to sin. Now, He talks about, verse 11, look at it again. Likewise, what's that word? Reckon. 
Now another word, we'd probably use this word today instead of saying reckon, we'd say count. It's an accounting term. And it's for the word count. Count yourselves to be what? Dead unto sin. And boy, this gets into how to deal with sin. Verse 22. He said, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then he goes on to talk about that the law, as long as it has dominion over a man, only as long as he lives. The woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he's alive, but the husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. And verse 4, wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the body of Christ. Do you keep hearing this idea of being dead? Dead, dead, dead. We're to be dead to what? To sin. But now, did you notice back in that 11th verse again, you are to reckon yourself, count yourself dead. Now, that gives you some insight. If you felt dead to sin, you wouldn't have to reckon yourself or count yourself dead to sin. Dead people are not tempted to sin. Are they? I know it sounds funny, but I'm using what the Bible says. He kept talking about being dead. He talked about a husband and a wife. How that they were joined together by the law until he was dead. And then they're no longer, you know, joined by the law of husband and wife. He's dead. He's using that as the connection between us and the law of sin and death. And we're to have the revelation that in Christ... This is why we're baptized. Many times people don't realize it. But when you're baptized, what happens? You go down into the water. Right? What does that symbolize? Death. Right? Then you come back up out of the water. What does that symbolize? Resurrection. But before the resurrection is the the death. Well, then when the new man is alive, the old man is dead. Everybody say, the old man is dead. dead. Say it again, old man is dead. dead. Now, that was the man that was dominated over by sin. I got to read some more scripture to you. Keep reading here in chapter 7. He said, verse 4. My brethren, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. What kind of fruit? Well, he just got through talking about in the previous chapter, fruit unto holiness, as opposed to sin. He said, don't yield your members to sin and unrighteousness. Holiness fruit, pure fruit, clean fruit, godly fruit. Verse 5, for when you were in the flesh. Now, do you understand that that's talking about the unsaved man? Before being born again. When you were in the flesh, we were in the flesh, the motions or passions of sins, which were by the law, 
did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. The wages of sin is death. But now, oh glory to God, but now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Now, let me repeat this. In other words, sin is violation of light. And if a man is, you know, lying to somebody and he didn't see anything wrong with it until he found out it's wrong to lie. Thou shalt not lie. But now he's tempted to lie, but now he knows lying is wrong. And if he goes on and lies, now he knows it's wrong to lie, he just sinned. And the enemy has used the law, the light that came and it still comes. He used the law to try to tempt people to violate what they know. And he said, verse 9, I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. That's spiritual death. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be to death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Now skip down. Verse 14. We know the law is spiritual. But I'm carnal, sold under sin. Now he's talking about before he got saved. For that which I do, I allow not. What I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law, it's good. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in me that's in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. This is the person who is lost. Did you hear me? They have no power over sin. They want to do right. They want to change, they want to do, and they can dress themselves up a little bit, and they can reform, but it's going to come right back to it. The unsaved person cannot live free from sin. He said, the good that I would, I do not, the evil which I would not, I do. And if I do that, I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that's dwelling in me. I find a law then that when I would do good, evil's present with me. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Do we know the answer to that question? <laughs> he answers it for us. I thank God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the deliverance. That's the answer. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Did he do it? Are we? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Yes. Yes. Yes. Skip down to verse 10. Chapter 8, verse 10. If Christ is in you, the body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life or alive because of righteousness. Verse 13, if we live after the flesh, we'll die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live as many as are led by the spirit of God or the sons of God. Now you tie this in together with Galatians. If you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What you're doing is the man on the inside is dominating. Can you hear me now? And the man on the outside, what do we do with him? We count him, we reckon him dead. Come on now, I'm going to paint you a picture. Dead men are not tempted to commit adultery. I hope you can stay with me for a few minutes now. I don't think I'm sounding morbid. But let's say you got a funeral going on. And here's a fella. He's dead. He died last week. They fixed his body. Body's lying there. And here comes a beautiful woman that's not his wife and leans over in the casket and is not dressed properly. And is he tempted? No. Huh? Is he tempted some? If she whispers suggestions in his ears and goes, cheat on your wife with me, Paul will have a big time. Is he tempted? What happens to him? No response. Is that right? No response. Why? He's dead. He's dead. What if somebody comes by and they got a big pile of money? And they go, hey, I swiped this out of the offering. You want some? You can take this and buy your new car with it. Is he tempted? Does he go, hmm, I could, yeah, I could get, no. He says nothing. He feels nothing. No response. Why? He's dead. Does he have problems with sin? No, because no, he's dead. What does it have to do with me? Everything. Everything. The man on the inside has been recreated. New creation in Christ. But you still got this body. And this body will do anything you'll let it do. I don't care if you got saved and spoke in tongues. This body, if you don't control it, will be a drug addict. It'll be an alcoholic. It'll be a liar. It'll be a thief. It'll be an adulterer. You can't trust this thing any further than you can throw it. I'm telling you. So what do you got to do? Count it dead. Now, if it felt dead all the time, you wouldn't have to count it. Dead, would you? You wouldn't have to reckon it or count it dead. But there's a phrase that you ought to get used to using on your flesh. Lay down, dead man. Lay down, dead man. Right? 
The man's dead. Somebody comes by. Looks around. Leans over go, You are ugly, cuss. <laughs> Never nobody uglier than you. And I know why you're so ugly. Your mama's ugly. <laughs> Ugliest woman. And your kid's worse than you. What ugly kid. And talk bad about you. Does he get upset? No. Does he get mad? No. no. What does he do? Nothing. Nothing. Why? He's dead. He's dead. I know this may seem too simplistic to you. But it's not just hearing it in your head. You've got to get it in your heart. And then not just get it in your heart, but you've got to what? Do it. Do it. You have to treat your body like it's dead. Can you do it? Can you treat your body, your feelings, your desires like they're dead? Can you do it? You can Now, see, the unsaved man or woman, they don't have the power to do this. But in Christ, we do. We have the greater one inside us. And our spirit is alive. And we do not have to serve sin or be the servant of sin. But your body doesn't always feel dead. Even the most holy man or woman of God has found in their mind thoughts. Feelings, suggestions that are not good, not clean, not right. Now, does that mean you've sinned? No, No, we've already talked about that. To be tempted to sin is not sinning. It's what are you going to do with it now? There can be times your eyes want to look at it. Your ears want to hear it. Your body wants to do it. Have you sinned? Nope. Do you have to sin? Is this bigger than you? Is it just controlling you? Not unless you let it. What can you do? You count it dead. Now, the devil, he's always trying to wake up the dead man. (laughs) Isn't he? Oh... It reminds me, I've said this before, it'll bear repetition, reminds me of the jack-in-the-box. Anybody know about the jack-in-the-box? You ever seen a jack-in-the-box? Hmm? You twist the handle, you know, the little clown or whatever, the jack is down in the box, lid's closed. And you turn the handle, don't, 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 right? Nothing. Don't, 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 right? Nothing. What if you keep cranking the handle? Boom! <laughs> there he is. <laughs> well, that's what the enemy does. He comes, you know, he'll talk about you. He get if you seem sensitive, he'll get somebody to talk bad about you behind your back. Don't don't don't. And if that doesn't work, he'd try to get somebody to talk bad about your husband or your wife. (laughs) Kind of watch and see. And keep working on something and trying to find it and get somebody to talk bad about your kids. (laughs) Boing! 
Now you talk about me, but bless God, and you talk about my kids. I keep. Ah, <laughs> oh, the dead man is up. He's up out of the box. Let me just tell you, you want me to give you a piece of my mind and just act like a heathen. Just act like a heathen. Is that reckoning the old man dead? No, it's not. It's not. You will have feelings. Now let's come back to this. Was Jesus tempted in all points just like us? What does that mean? Did he have feelings? Did thoughts come to him? Was he pulled? See, people don't like to admit this, but this is Bible, friend. Was he pulled? He was. One of the biggest things that he had to deal with when he was in the garden, you remember, praying. That's why he sweat blood. Was he tempted not to go through with it? Oh, he was. Because he knew exactly what was going to happen to his spirit, not just his body. He knew. He saw it clearly. And he said, Father, all things are possible with you. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. He was tempted. What did he do, though? See, he crucified his own flesh in the Garden of Gethsemane. Before they crucified his body at Golgotha. And having done that, he could walk through. And not sin. Does the Bible talk about, we just got through reading, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Have you heard the words crucify the flesh? These are biblical terms. What does that mean? You count it dead. Does it always feel dead? No, that's the whole deal. I mean, sometimes it feels entirely too alive. You might make it good on certain things, but then here comes temptation. And old man, you hear this boom, 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 boom on the coffin lid. <laughs> and what do you say? Lay down, dead man. And if you let it go too far, then the lid flies open. (laughs) Up comes a dead man, right? What do you do? You grab him by the throat. What are we talking about? We're talking about your flesh. You grab him by the throat. You slap him back down. Shut the lid and go, shut up. Dead man. Lay down. Dead man. You're dead. Everybody said out loud, I am dead. To sin. To sin. Say it again. I am dead to sin. Say it out loud again. I am dead to sin. Now let's say it like the scripture says. I reckon myself. I count my body. Dead to sin. Amen. Can you do it? Is there strength in you to do it? This is where real strength is. And the devil has twisted this. Twisted it. You've got young people. Teenagers. That are mocked. People in junior high. Mocked 
and belittled because they haven't already had sex. Did you hear me? And in high school, oh, did you know so-and-so is a virgin? (laughs) Can't get a girl. Can't get a guy. And there's this stigma. That is perversion. That is twisted. It's easy to mess up. It's easy to yield to your flesh. Did you hear me? Any sinner can do it. Right? It's easy. Your hormones are raging. And you got opportunity. It's easy. The thing that should be admired is strength. Did you hear me? The thing that should be held up as an example is so and so. They control their self. You mean they never had any feelings? Sure they've had feelings. You don't make it through teenage years without feelings. (laughs) I feel for teenagers. Don't you? Adults? Used to be one. Hormones. But can the born again teenager, born again child of God, can they control themselves? Can they control their bodies? Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're talking about being separate from sin. Jesus was, can we be? We're told we're commanded to be. 1 Thessalonians 4th chapter, verse 1. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Furthermore, he said, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your what? Sanctification. And he goes on specifically to say that you should abstain from fornication. What is fornication? Sex outside of marriage. Sex between people who are not married to each other. Married people having sex with other married people's adultery. Married people having sex with somebody other than their partner, adultery. Is adultery wrong? Is it? Always. Is it always wrong? Are there exceptions? Hmm? Is there justification? Let's say a man is not being satisfied at home. A woman's not being satisfied at home. They're not being appreciated at home. And somebody they find their true soulmate after they're already married to somebody else. Now, you know why I say this, don't you? Do you hear this kind of thing? All the time. Well, yes, but I'm in love with them and I don't love my husband anymore. People today think love 
what they are calling love removes every other thing. I'm in love. So laws of God and man be damned. Because I'm in love. <laughs> well, these same folk said they were in love when they married this other person. Being in love has nothing to do with something being right or wrong. Are you with me now? And so much of what people call being in love has nothing to do with the love of God or with loving that person. So much of what people call being in love is infatuation and lust. If you love another person, you want what's best for them, even if it costs you. Did you hear me? And this, I love you, I need you, I can't live without you. Do you hear something recurring in there? I, I, I. That's not you loving them. That's you being infatuated with them. You love your flesh and you love how they make you feel. You love what they do for you. That's self-love. No, these are for unregenerate people, this kind of stuff. People in the dark. People of light. People of God. Should be taught. Should be fed. Should grow. Should know. Just because somebody catches my eye, it means nothing. Just because somebody flatters me and gives me some attention, what does that mean? That was a little weak, guys. Now, people like to sit up in church and act like, yeah, somebody needs to hear this. Yeah, I know. Somebody needs to hear this. There is no excuse for adultery. Thank God there's forgiveness, cleansing. There's no excuse for fornication. There's forgiveness and cleansing. You know, I've talked to men and women too who'd messed up. And they're still, they're sorry they got caught. But they still kind of got a gleam in their eye. That somebody that was good looking found them attractive. And they feel like it was kind of an affirmation that uh, I still got what it takes. I can still turn a few heads. Yeah, my husband don't appreciate me, but other men do. That's ignorance. And yet we've got, how many understand, you've got people all over the place, including Christians. That feel like this gives me my sense of value and my sense of worth because somebody will pay attention to me. Really? Where are they coming from? What do they want? People say, you know, you hear teenagers sometimes say it and adults talk some of the same thing. I'm in love. With who? So-and-so sits on the third row. Have y'all talked? Not yet. (laughs) But I'm in love. (laughs) Really? How can you be in love? But it's real to people, isn't it? I mean, I'm in love. No, 
it's just got nothing to do with love. But when you're young, you don't know. Should know. Could know. If it was taught strong enough in churches, if parents taught it strong enough and lived it strong enough, then it wouldn't be this, I've got to affirm that I'm a real man because i got to get a woman. Hmm? My dad was sleeping around the time he was 15. And I, you know, here I am 16 and I'm still a virgin. That's something to be embarrassed about? That's something to feel insecure about? Do you see how the world has twisted this? No. We should have enough light to know no matter what pulls on us, I can be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And there is nobody that good looking. Huh? Because see, people like to think, ain't no man I can't get. When I turn on my charm, whoo, they might as well give up. I can get any man. You're insecure. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you are. You're looking for something to make you feel valuable. And you'll never find it there. Further you go with that, the cheaper you'll feel. Hmm? Ain't no woman I can't get. Yeah. You know, I put on the walk, put on the talk, make my move. (laughs) You're ignorant. And weak. You're weak inside. Let me tell you about strength. Jesus. 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 He was tempted. He was pressed. He was pulled. He was squeezed till blood came out his pores. And never one time gave in. That's to be held up. That's to be talked about. That's to be made much of. Right? Hallelujah. And our young people should be strong and full of the word. So when people, you know, tempt them or try to pull on them, do drugs, sleep with me, do this, they realize it's strength time. Hmm? People laugh at you. You know one thing that is undeniable? People can't shake you on. It's true confidence that's deep down inside you. They laugh at you and it doesn't bother you. Why? Because you're dead. Did you remember that? They laugh. They give you a nickname. Huh? They call you names and make fun of you and say, well, it's because you can't get a girl. And it's because nobody will have him. And nobody will even go out with him and, and all like that. But when you're confident, when you got strength from Jesus, it runs down deep inside you. You just smile. And they can tell this doesn't phase you. You know the next thing that happens? They want to be like you. This is the witness that we're supposed to be having all over. That when people supposedly tempt us and they look in our eyes and they see we really don't want it. And even if our flesh does, we don't care. Lay down, dead man. 
We can grow until your flesh can be screaming for it. And you can be cool. Your flesh can be jumping up and down going, do it, let's do it. Yeah, 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 let's do it. And you can just say, oh, no. No, no, absolutely no, and never no. And just walk away real cool. And then your flesh is going, ah, ah, do it, do it, do it, please do it. You can say, shut up, shut up. I said, shut Boom. Cool. Dead. Lay down. Dead man. Come on, try it out on your flesh one time here. Say, lay down. Shut up. Lay down. Dead man. You did. You did. You're not tempted to have an affair. You did. Dead men are not tempted to have affairs. They just are not. At all. Dead women are not tempted to have affairs at all. At all. Tell me why. Because they're dead. (laughs) And so is your body. Dead to sin. Oh, glory to God. Why don't you lift your hand and thank God. Because it's Bible, because it's true. I reckon my body to be dead indeed unto sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's finish reading our scripture here in 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to what? Possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. We ought not act like people that don't know God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. Now here he's talking about adultery. Verse 7, for God has called us to what? Not called us to uncleanness, but unto holiness. Holiness, and he that despises, despises not man, but God, who has given unto us his Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We are to possess our vessels. Friends, let's go on a crusade right now. In our homes, in our communities, in our schools, to hold up this. This is what impresses us. This is what we find attractive. This is what we respect. Not the guy that slept with 12 girls. He's the big man on campus. No, he's a weak man. Has no control over himself. Doesn't respect his own body. Doesn't know what his body is. Did you hear me? Don't misunderstand. I mean, he can be forgiven. He can be cleansed. Right? But you've got to let the Lord's priorities become your priorities. What's valuable? What's precious? I'm in control by the grace of God of my mind. 
I don't have to think on stuff I don't want to think on. I'm in control of my mouth. I control my vessel. Right? I'm in control of my body. It doesn't tell me what to do. I tell it what to do. Right? I eat when I say eat. My body doesn't tell me when I eat. That was a little weak. I sleep when I say sleep. Talking about the man on the inside. Back up to 1 Corinthians. I think I'm closing. If not, that's fine too. But 1 Corinthians, this is a little different tonight. But it's the word too. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, what does it say? 1 Corinthians 9, 27, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway or rejected or disqualified or disapproved, some translations bring out. I keep under my body. Who is the I? You're not talking about my body keeps under my body. Right? Who are we talking about? You're not just a body. You're not just a mind and a body. If you lost your body right now. You'd still exist. And you'd still be you. Did you hear me? You know the apostle Paul talks about. He was caught up to the third heaven. Remember that? And he said whether I was out of the body. Or in the body. I couldn't tell. Oh did you get that? What does that mean? Sometimes people say. You think we'll know one another in heaven? Well do you know one another down here? Because that's who's going to be there. You're not going to turn into an angel. That'd be a demotion. You're going to be you. He said whether I was in the body or out of the body, I couldn't tell. So the man on the inside, Paul's talking about, is going to control the man on the outside. And he said, I keep my body under and I bring it into subjection. I tell my body what it does, what it doesn't do. My body doesn't run me. Say it out loud. My body doesn't run me. My body does not control me. I control my body. You know, you see people sometimes, they say, well, I have to eat right now. Why? Because it's time to eat. I have to eat right now. Why? Why? Well, I have to sleep. It's my bedtime. I have to sleep right now. Really? Why? You know, I, my dad worked night shifts. And then out of high school and stuff, I worked night shifts. And I was a night owl. My dad used to come wake me up as a little boy. We'd eat popsicles together at 2 and 3 in the morning. That's how I got started. <laughs> And so I used to say, uh, you know, boy, I, I'm not really a morning person. I'm a night person. I said that one too many times. And the Lord said to me, so what if I want you to do something in the morning? I said, well, of course, I should be there for the morning. He said, well, uh, you're an anytime person. I said, that's right. I'm an anytime person. Right? What does that mean? Anytime I need to do something. Right? 
And you got to watch about someone. I can't get up or I can't stay up late or I can't miss a meal or I have to do this or I can't be away from home or I can't be away from my wife and I have to have my meal at a certain time. And you are flesh ruled then. Your body controls you. Animals, tigers and lions, they can go for days without a meal. Still be healthy. So much of it's in in people's head. I only got seven hours of sleep last night. I'll be a mess all day. (laughs) Ridiculous. I said ridiculous. A lot of folks are that sweet. Now, if I've called your situation, just look straight ahead and just smile and go, somebody needs to hear that, Brother Keith. What do we say? Don't be flesh ruled. I have to have a cookie. <laughs> if you want to eat a cookie, if you decide to eat a cookie, we'll eat your cookie. But none of this, I got to have a cookie. That means it's time to go cookie less for a while. Did you hear me? And prove to yourself that I don't got a cookie. I mean, the first, anytime your body starts doing that kind of thing, well, I got, it's time I got to have my, you say, uh-huh. No, you don't. Mm-mm. No, you don't have one. And then you find out. You know, it's like people say, well, I can quit anytime I want to. Show us. See, people are flesh ruled. Flesh ruled. And you might think, well, what's that got to do with things? But Listen, if you are continually yielding to the flesh in these smaller areas, it sets you up to yield in the bigger areas. You already said, if you can't say no to a candy bar, you're primed to say yes to something else. You're just used to giving in. Used to giving in. You need to be able to say no, no, no. Control yourself. You find yourself being pulled in an area. Discipline yourself. It's the happy life. It's the free life. And people say, well, that sounds hard. No, it's the free life. What's tough is your flesh tormenting you all the time. With unsatisfied desire, that's tough. That's torment. Say it out loud again. I reckon myself dead to sin. Say it again. Let's say it out loud together. I reckon myself dead to sin. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. Dead to sin. Glory to God. Won't you stand up on your feet for a moment? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.